Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome to Permission Thing. I'm Edwin Rustrian, and I'm glad you're joining me today. Thank you to all of you who week after week tune into Permission to Think. My desire is to push our thinking, encourage you, and remind you that there is always hope regardless of bad things get. I hope this podcast has blessed you and added value to your life. As always, I'm excited to announce that my book, Letters to My Girls, is now available in Spanish. You can purchase your copy through Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. For more information, don't forget to visit erustrian.com. And now, let's give ourselves permission to think. Our topic for today is Uncommon Valor in Marriage. This episode is the second of a short series on the topic of marriage. We will go deep through the many challenges young married couples face, stages in marriage, pitfalls, unrealistic expectations, the daunting and adverse effect of divorce, and what God has to say on marriage and divorce. You definitely don't want to miss this series. Share it with a friend, other married couples, and young adults who are engaged. The data and statistics on the state of marriage, especially among Christian families, is quite frightening. So let's focus on this topic of uncommon valor in marriage. Last week, we discussed the following. We asked the following questions. What is your definition of marriage? Is your marriage a social contract? Is your marriage a pledge to each other? What were your motivations for marriage? Did your fiancé know your true motivation? Are you getting out of marriage what you originally wanted or anticipated? Is the institution of marriage a complete failure? What change? And just to recap a little bit also what we covered last week, we also discussed the three stages of marriage. The first one is stage, it's the stage of enchantment. You're, this is where you're on cloud nine, everything is perfect, you're infatuated, uh, fascinated, you're charmed, uh, you're ecstatic, you're thrilled. Everything, uh, your mind becomes completely preoccupied with all the wonderful things of this relationship. And stage two, it goes a little further, perhaps into your first through third year of marriage. This comes in disenchantment. Uh, you're upset. You're terrified. Um, everything has gone absolutely wrong. Everything that you thought it was going to go great, well, basically just completely went wrong. Uh, your desire to quit your marriage increases. You feel hurt. You feel put down. You're irritated. Uh, you feel burdened, you become bitter because everything now in your marriage has become what you didn't anticipate it would. Uh, the emotion of stage one, the enchantment has now vanished. And now stage two is that disenchantment that we feel like, what did I get myself into? And then you have stage three that we discussed as well last week. And this is maturity. This is where uh, typically I would say it comes maybe after 10 years uh, that you begin or 15 years. Uh, into your marriage where you have weathered some storms, the children have come now, you're adjusted to living uh, arrangements, um, you work through some of the challenges that have come about, maybe unexpected expenses, um, maybe the job loss, maybe an illness, and just growing together, uh, grinding it out, and, and just being there for one another. And that stage three maturity is like your feet on the ground, you have a mindset of like, I need you, uh, you have this mindset also of how do you see things, um, a mindset of maturity that that's worth things out. You encourage one another. You see um, both individuals as a whole. You feel grateful. You have this idea of growing you together. You can accomplish anything. 
And and so the maturity comes with time. There's no such thing as rushing maturity, as asking a child to rush through his growth process to become an adult, uh, not understanding that the very stages of life are necessary. That first stage of enchantment, I believe, is wonderful. It's, 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 it's a great feeling to have. But when disenchantment comes in on stage two is what tools and resources, what is your marriage built upon that is going to get you through that stage? And the maturity stage, which is stage three, is the one that we really get to see what life is all about when we begin to reflect. So the other thing that we talked about last week was um, the statistics on what marriage and divorce has become and what are the motivators and what are the highest reasons for people divorcing. Um, the, data, the, the, the data that I shared last week was frightening to see um, that Perhaps the number one reason, as, as it showed, was that lack of commitment seems to be the number one reason why divorce is so high today. Lack of commitment is the most common reason given by divorcing couples, according to a recent national survey. And it had lack of commitment comes in at 73%, uh, argue too much, 56%, infidelity at 55 Married too young, 46%. Unrealistic expectations are 45 Lack of quality in the relationship, 44%. Lack of preparation for marriage at 41%. Domestic violence or abuse, 25%. There's other data also that shows that um, one research determined that a single divorce costs state and federal governments about $30,000 based on such things as higher use of food stamps and, uh, and public housing as well as an increase of bankruptcies and juvenile delinquency. So we see the impact, not just emotionally, but the financial impact that it has, the divorce has on a family, on children, um, that they go, they have a higher rate of poverty and dependency on public assistance. And the government uh, can dish out anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000 for each individual family when we are separated from our families, particularly men who walk out or women who walk out and men have to, are no longer supporting the home in that financial, um, to create that financial stability. The other daunting aspect was that the nation's 1.4 million divorces in 2002 estimated to have cost the taxpayer more than $30 billion. So think about it. The nations of 1.4 million divorces, right, in 2002 cost an estimate of $30 billion to taxpayers. That's, that's a significant amount of money. And so what did what the number may be now might be even perhaps higher and scary. And so we, I wanted to present in this series by stages or by episode um, to sort of build of what the, the aspect of marriage, what is the foundation of marriage has become, uh, what, what is it when we have a different paradigm or we approach marriage casually with this idea of, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'm, I can just walk walk out of the marriage or you have prenups and making divorce so easy and convenient for people not understanding why you're getting married in the first place. And so today we're, we're going to discuss more of uh, the reasons, uh, healthy reasons for marriage. We're also going to look at how you can have a great marriage when you really focus on things that you maybe have not thought about. I know that for me, I'm 21 years married a lot of the great things that I'm enjoying now have come through much trial and error, through mistakes, uh, through a level stage of immaturity. A lot of it has been lack of understanding and knowledge. A lot of it has been growth, really, um, that has really enlightened me to see 
um, that when you share your life with someone and that person is sharing their life with you, um, to value that person, value their commitment, honor them as a human being, honor them as a person who has chosen to uh, share this road of life with you. So the things we're going to dive in today really, really um, focus on, on good reasons or, or what how we can grow in our marriages as well. So question for reason for marriage. What would you get out of marriage that you wouldn't receive by remaining single? Let me repeat that question again. What would you get out of marriage that you wouldn't receive by remaining single? That's your own personal question you got to think about. If you're single right now, you're thinking about getting married. What is it that a marriage, right? What would you get out of that marriage that you wouldn't if you stay single? And so for many people, like some of the things that I talked about last week is like, you know, well, you know, I, I, I'm angry with my parents. So I want to leave the house. Well, you know, this is going to create more of a financial stability for me. So I'm just rather kind of get married with this person and show my independence from my parents. And I just want to be well, you know, and so it is important to think about when you make that decision to live with someone in this particular case, we're talking about marriage is that you really have a strong meaningful conversation with yourself and with the person that you're thinking about getting married of as to what is your objectives in marriage. So a few positive reasons for marriage. Number one, companionship. You're sharing your life and everything that has not happened to you yet. So there, and that's the second caveat in that sentence is you're going to share your life, right? That companionship with that person. You're going to share your life and everything that has not happened to you yet. You don't know what's going to happen in one year, two years, or three years, four or five years from now. The thing is that we always love the easy moments. We love the things that in a marriage, when we're financially successful, when we have a beautiful home, we have the two cars, we have all these things, and we have this perception that that is the perfect marriage. And I've read endless stories and, 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 and heard endless uh, comments on people who have had all those things and yet feel so unfulfilled they feel so lost they feel like they lost everything in life because if that is your premise so that is the argument that you want to make for getting married a good reason to get married just because you want to have those financial securities and what happens when the bad moments come they will come and so when you have someone that it's you know um is married and you're doing life together um, and you have made a commitment to share the good, the bad, and the valleys and the mounting experiences together. You made a promise to one another, that commitment that, that you're going to be there for one another. Another good reason for, another positive reason for marriage is to work together and fulfill your own and your future mate's needs. This idea of self-actualization, um, I think it's something that we're going to also talk about a little further down. Uh, the idea that together, I know that for, for me, it's important for me to keep working in this growth mindset that I have as a husband. But I also think about the needs of my wife. I also think about her desires and what am I contributing to hers? What am I doing as a husband that is going to actually help her accomplish her growth? Am I going to be a stumbling block? Am I going to be getting in the middle or in the way of her accomplishing? So it becomes reciprocated because she gives me so much. She makes everything that I do possible in different areas that many people don't even realize or know. But what am I doing as a husband to reciprocate that? So the idea that, uh, uh, that you're working together to fulfill your own and your future mate's self needs a, a very, very good a possible reason for marriage. The third, it will be to fulfill sexual needs the way God intends. 
Um, this is very important because I think that we have this really um, mis misconstrued idea of what sex is. And so God, in the way that he structured it for us, is for us to truly enjoy, enjoy in the covenant of marriage. And we'll talk about that in the next episode because we're going to go more deeper into the spiritual element of things. But it's also something that God gave us for our fulfillment, for our enjoyment, that we can share with our spouses the true essence of what sexual uh, passions towards one another the way God intended it for it. And so when we, when we bring pornography into the household, when we bring other partners into your marriage it, it's just a recipe for disaster and this is the mindset that exists in our secular thinking that if you bring another person into your marriage it's going to spice up your marriage and the data i'm sorry to say but the data usually shows that 99.99 percent end up being divorced and separated and destroying not only their lives but if they have children their children's lives as well particularly in the moments where people are now so coveting to become famous in the wrong way objectifying themselves or uh, recording their sexual experiences, then posting it for people to see. It, you know, it's driven by what? That is the whole thing. What is it driven by? So we're going to look at that context of what looking at your sexual needs the way God intended. Number four is love. Um, and this word sometimes it gets me, it bothers me sometimes because we hear it so much. Like, you know, I can say, wait, I, lo I love my wife. Yeah, but I love a slice of pizza. And we almost like, we, it lost its true meaning and essence. We say we love everything. I love that show. Or I love that car. Or I love this. And we just, I love a cup of coffee. <laughs> and so we use these words, this word, in particular love, we, we just throw it at everything that we see, you know? And so it, it's lost its meaning. But when you look at love, you know, th there, uh, there are four different um, aspects of love that I want to focus on today, which we're going to talk a little bit about. But this idea of the erotic love is the one that I, th I think most of us really stay at the early um, aspects of our relationship. And we're thinking that this is going, this is enough to carry us through. So for a lot of people in our modern day, yes, in the modern day world, the word love typically refers to a feeling or an emotion and perhaps this type of thinking approach to marriage is responsible for so many failed relationships and marriages. We want to always be in a euphoric state that nothing else will simply do. Thus, we move on from partner to partner, uh, seeking that feeling, chasing an emotion rather than a principle. And I think that this, this is so true. I think this idea of being in a euphoric state of the constant, I'm so in love with this person, or oh, this person is so wonderful, this person is amazing, and we, we, we reduce the aspect of love to just that eros, that passionate, uh, erotic love that we have towards our partner when we begin dating. And when we don't have that anymore, you, that's, you hear the phrase, well, I'm just not in love with him anymore. I'm just not in love with her anymore. And so what happens is that we decide to walk away because we weren't committed. We were committed probably to just an emotion when it works for you. But when it doesn't work for you, when you feel like, oh, I just don't feel attractive to that person anymore, what has happened? So let's, let's think about this for a moment, right? Like you have a couple that gets married in their 20s, right? 20, 24. And, every, and, and at that age, you're, you're strong, you're healthy, you're beautiful, you're energetic, right? And then I'm going to use the example probably in, from, from my perspective, right? So imagine this, you know, my wife and I got married at 24. We both were 24 and gorgeous. I mean, simply beautiful woman, uh, full of energy and strength. Uh, her smile, her hair, everything about her to me, physically speaking, was perfect. Now imagine this. 
a couple of years go by and you know now she's in her 30s and now she has two children and am I expecting her to change? Am I expecting her to remain the same? Am I going to treat her differently if her body suddenly changed? If her metabolism stopped working the way it used to when she was much younger? And there's so many other things that emotions that women go through. Does that mean that if I don't see her the same way at 24, that I'm going to not be committed to still loving my wife and seeing her in the same way? Now, fast forward 20 years later, so many things have happened. She, she doesn't look the same way. Does that mean that I walk away? She doesn't look like she's 24 anymore, right? But some of the things have happened. What about me in the other way, right? I'm 24, a 24, full of energy, full of strength and, and vigor and, and, and everything, right? So now fast forward 20 years later, do I look the same at 24? No, this is life. It's going to happen. We age. We, we lose things. Um, 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 medically speaking, you know, so many things happen through our lives that we change the way we look. And all of a sudden, we, we look at a person and say, well, I'm just not in love with that person. It's a fear that for the last 20 years, my spouse has given the best years of my life. And then I can selfishly say, well, you know, I'm just not attracted to her. You know, how do I, how do I reconcile this idea of emotion and, and the erotic and say, you know, I, I need to feel, I need to find someone that's going to make me feel that way. Think about that statement. If that statement holds true, think about her statement to say, well, you know, and then you got chunky, you know, you lost your hair, you, you let yourself go. You're not as attractive. I got to find me a young stud. Imagine that, but that's the mindset that exists. It's this this fear of you missing out on the happiness, this illusion that we all have that having something that is different or something that is strange to us is the one thing that is that we're chasing. And in essence, what it does, it destroys our relationships. So this is this kind of thinking is really crazy, right? Because we only focus on that. So let's really think about these four aspects of love right so think about first some signs of an emotional decision to marry these are some of the things that we usually hear people say when there's there's so much emotion tied to the idea of marriage when you hear people say oh we're so in love we're so compatible we were made for each other oh he makes me feel so happy or sometimes if guys would say well yeah she, she's hot she's a really good looking girl right or you go and say, well, you know, we, we're both financially secure. Imagine if, if we marry together and we put our finances together. He makes over six figures. I make over six figures. We can live and just travel and do all these wonderful things. Uh, those are red flags to me because what happens is when those things change and they do change, what are you going to do? How are you going to face it? Then you ask the question, what is my marriage built upon? So let's look at this. Four aspects of love, the eros, uh, philia, agape, and storia. Four different types, right? And the eros is in this marital aspect of love. You seek the sensual expression from one another. This is in the covenant of marriage where you can fully express this um, desire for one another, this physical touch from one another, this intimacy that you desire to have. And philia, this brotherly love, it's the friendship, the companionship, the communication, the cooperation that exists, that can exist in your marriage. And quite often, I, I don't, we don't see this in our marriages because many times we're still stuck in the arrows. Many, many people want that to be the only thing that sustains them in their marriage. And, but what about this aspect of affiliate, right? The brotherly love, the friendship, the kingmanship, the companionship, the communication, the cooperation. What about this agape love? Can we bring this agape love into our marriage? The unconditional or sacrificial love, the self-giving love, 
Agape love is not just something that you do. It's something that you make happen. You work towards it. Imagine, can that come into a marriage? Can that be part of a marriage? What about storge? This family love. I love the way um, I read this in an article and it said uh, that, that storge love, is family love, is cherished, cherishing one's kindred especially parents or children, the mutual love of parents and children and wives and husbands, chiefly of the reciprocal tenderness of parents and children. So you love your family. There is the other element, right? So you have the eros, the philia, the agape, and the storge. Can all of these things coexist? Can they be blended together in a marriage? Think about it. If I move on past the eros and I have this... Uh, affiliate with this aspect of companionship towards my wife that I love speaking with, that I love spending, that I love spending time with her, cooperating and working together. This agape love that I see my wife give unconditional love to me and it's reciprocated back to her. This, this, this love that just keeps on giving, right? Even in our most imperfect moments, I know for one that I've had so many and I do have so many because I'm an imperfect being where I see my, my wife truly commit her love towards me to always make me better to always help me to grow and to shine. And when I see her in moments, particularly in a very tough season that she's going in through right now, you know, I sat down with her and, and, and I said to her, I, I want to be here for you right now. I want you to know that I'm going to walk with you through this very difficult valley that you're going through. And, and so we, we looked at each other we, and we both cried because her pain became my pain. And we hugged and we held each other that comfort, that, that idea that I'm walking with you, that idea that I'm here for you. You don't have to go through this alone. And for her to become vulnerable and to let me in and say, yes, I want you to walk with me. You know, and, and for men, this is also an area where we perhaps, I know I need to work on this, right? That allowing ourselves to be vulnerable for in front of our wives and to say, yes, I, I need you. I, I need your companionship. I need your love in this moment. And when we put these aspects together, our marriages become much stronger. Remember that beyond the arrows is the philia, the agape, and the storge love. All of these things infused, I believe it is possible. It is possible to experience these, these things in our marriages. It is possible when we make the first decision to be committed, not just to the sensual aspect of our relationship, but committed to all the other aspects that makes it beautiful, right? Um, if you ever studied psychology, any aspect of psychology, I remember uh, when I was getting my teacher degree, I had to get, I have to study all these different theories of child development and child psychology. But um, if you ever did have studied psychology, you remember learning about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so the idea is that from the bottom of the hierarchy upwards, the needs are uh, phys uh, physiological, safety, love and belonging, and esteem and self-actualization. So think about this, right? The, the upward hierarchy from the bottom being the physiological to the highest, the top of the pyramid, self-actualization. And the idea is that you really think about this in our marriage. Think about your relationship that you have with your spouse and where you are, right? The physiological needs have to do with food, clothing, shelter, water. Are, these are the things that we focus in providing for our families, our children, to say, well, do you have clothes? There's food. These are the top priorities that we have that create the stability in the home. That's the physiological need. 
The second one is the safety needs, a safe environment for your children to live, uh, a safe environment for them to learn, uh, a safe environment for their the, the, the habitation can be restful and, and they can feel secure, protection from harm, protection from anyone that can be an intruder into it. You create these safeguards in order for you, even spiritually, I think, or even just emotionally, right? You create this safety need so that you are able to protect your family. So you have the physiological needs, the shelter, the food, the clothing, water, and then you have safety needs, the safe environment, they don't feel threatened, protection or harm. Now, let's move on to the next three, right? And, and the next one is love and belonging needs. This idea or this thought that he developed in the hierarchy of friendship, of love, of cared for, affectionate relationships with others is is your marriage is your relationship at home does it have this right love and belonging is there friendship in your marriage is there friendship in your relationship at home does the person feel cared for does the person feel that they, they have an affectionate healthy relationship right within the household Right. And then the next one is steam needs. Right. Receiving recognition as worthwhile person. This is goes beyond just telling a person, wow, love, you look beautiful. Uh, you're, you're amazing. You, you glow. You're, you're, you're building that confidence in the person to say you're everything that I need and more. Right. Uh, this idea of recognition, you say, wow, you you made a great meal today. Thank you for what you do. Everything you do in this house or in my life makes everything that much better. You are, when you're not home, you are dearly missing. That is the God honest truth. When my wife is at home um, and I'm alone or, or even just alone with my girls and, and my wife is not there, that, that, that descent that she has, the presence that she brings into the home, the, the, this infectious smile when she just bursts in laughter. Um, the house just seems empty. And for me, um, when she's not there, it's just something within my heart that I feel like it's missing. And, 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 and she knows that. And, and, and I try to express it in the best way that I can because one of the things that I had on my growth list is to become better at, at verbalizing and expressing this aspect of you look beautiful, you look amazing. This is something that couldn't roll out of my tongue easily. And that's for another episode, right? But the idea of, uh, of uh, part of the hierarchy is that the esteem and building the needs that we all have for that. Right. If you're a wife and your husband, and you said, wow, honey, you did a great job today. Thank you for the beautiful work that you do around the house. You helped me today with gardening. You cooked that meal. That was amazing. You threw out the garbage. You did it so wonderfully. Right. And, and it's like, oh, that sure looks really great on you. I love it when you smile. Oh, I love it when you do these. This this esteem, a need that we all have is to receive recognition that your presence at home is, is, is so wonderful and amazing. And here's the, here's the top one. This is at the very top of the tier. And this is self-actualization needs. The person has the potential to become, to develop into a full creative person, right? This is the very top. So that means that think about all the other ones, right? The foundational aspect, the physiological needs, the safety needs, love and belonging needs. The esteem needs now self-actualization. This is when you recognize your, your, your partner's ability to do all the wonderful things, the potential that they have. Now you 
are working towards that actual self-actualization aspect of it and fulfilling that creativity that we all have, the higher purpose, that calling that's going to drive us into accomplishing and making an impact in the lives. If I am practicing right now self-actualization, it's because my wife has been able to provide. She's created. She's been allowed me to be creative, but it's everything that she does in the way that allows me to be there. The physical needs have been taken, physiological needs have been taken care of. The safety needs are taken care of. Uh, the love and belonging in the home is definitely nurtured. The esteem towards one another. And now we can fulfill this aspect of our sexual, our self-actualization that we desire to be. If none of those things are at the bottom are there, think about it. If, even for your family and your children, if the physiological needs are not there, you, don't, you can't provide clothing, food, shelter. If you cannot provide a safe environment, none of the other things can ever happen. But particularly the top one, which is the self-actualization, right? It, because these are all part of our, our, our makeup and what makes this family a family great. So think about what I said before. Are we able to include the arrows? Are we able to include the philia, the agape, and the astorge into our um, aspect of our family, right? And then think about the hierarchy needs of Maslow identified the physiological need, the safety needs, the love and belonging needs, the esteem, and the self-actualization. In marriage, do we ever think about that? Let me ask you the question. In, 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 in your marriage, do you actually see your marriage that way or are we still stuck on the first two, right? And one of the reasons marriages, I believe in my opinion, fail is because we never get past one and two. We make those two things, the first thing, the physiological and the safety, we made those two such a priority that we forget to build on all the other ones. Right. Norman Wright says to love somebody is not just a strong feeling. It is a decision. It is a judgment. It is a promise. It is a promise that we made towards one another that we were going to be committed to a healthy relationship. And by healthy, I mean this, that you are there for the purpose of companionship, of building a life together, come hell or high water, whatever comes through life that you're going to get through. You made a commitment to the person. You know, so when we look in at marriages that you go through life and you work and you give and you give and you give and you're able to provide for those two things. And there's a statistics too that shows that people later our aspect of their lives, they get divorced. Why? Because throughout building and caring for their children, they never invested in building themselves. So when they get to their latter parts in the emptiness aspect of their life and the children are gone, they look at each other as like, we don't even know each other. Well, how could you? If all you've done has been work, work, work to provide the first two needs, a higher of the hierarchy need, have you never invested into the other person, into your marriage? What are you going to withdraw? There's nothing there. And this is why my wife and I have made it a commitment that if we're going to invest in ourselves first because our children are getting older, um, one is going to college pretty soon and the other one is right behind as well. What are we going to do when we look at each other in the face and we say, well, our children are gone. I don't know you. Like, what, what's it going to be? So you build your relationships so that when you get to that stage, it's the best years of your life. Now you can mentor, you can give back to your community, you know, everything that you worked for in your life and enjoy the grandchildren when they come in, right? So I want you to reflect on where you are in your, perhaps if you're dating, perhaps in your courtship relationship, if you're engaged, if you're a newly married person, if you're seasoned in marriage, reflect on, the, on, on these two things that I shared with you today. Reflect on the four loves, the arrows, philia, agape, and storge. How are you doing living them out in your marriage? Just as a reflection thought, right? 
what kind of things do you think you can definitely work on? Because I know for me, I'm always working in ways that I can improve my marriage, right? Think about also uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the physiological needs, the safety needs, love and belonging, the esteem needs, the self-actualization needs. Are you still stuck in one and two? How can you begin to develop and move on to the other three, right? How can you move on to develop into the areas of love and belonging, steam needs, and self-actualization? Take a deep inventory. Sit down and have a meaningful, thoughtful conversation with your spouse. Where are you in your marriage? Where am I in my marriage? Make a commitment to each other and honor your commitment, right? The foundation for an uncommon valor for marriage is commitment. And why am I focusing on commitment? Because the divorce statistics show that 73% of divorces happen because of lack of commitment. What are you committed to? That's what is going to drive you in your life. If you're committed to just being uncommitted, then you know what's going to happen at the very end, right? For me, and we're going to touch this in the next episode. We're going to dive deeper into what does God have to say about marriage? What does God have to say about divorce? What does God condone it? Does, does God say it's okay for divorce to happen? And if so, under what conditions? Right? We're going to look at this. So everything that we've been talking about has been in, in this scaffolding kind of aspect, the introduction. Today, we're focusing on the possibilities of having a great marriage and good, healthy reasons for marriage and moving beyond the ones and the twos of the hierarchy of needs and moving more than just the arrows that, that the centralized aspect of love and saying, wait a minute, I can build on the other ones. I, I didn't even know those two other, other ones existed. Right. And, but the idea is like, I've always told you in other episodes too, is I, I've changed the mindset from goals to growth because when we have goals in our marriage, they're finite, right? Like let's say you're both working on this goal of losing weight together. You change your whole eating patterns. You begin to exercise. You begin to do other things that are going to build. But once you to build on, but you're going to lose the weight. Let's say you have a, a goal of losing 10 to 15 pounds. But what happens after you finish those 10 to 15 pounds? Do you go back to living your lifestyle the way you did before? Because now you can, you have that 10, 15 miles, 10, 15 pounds that you saved. And now you want to what? Then you can, you can splurge a little bit. You can, you know, have a, a piece of chocolate or whatever it may be that's going to, you kind of treat yourself. The point, the problem is that we are creatures of habit. And when we create a habit, that's what eventually sticks around, you know? So the idea is that we're always on this growth continuum. We're always growing, whatever it's emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, um, financially, right? These are the areas that we never stop. But in our marriage, in our relationship, we can always grow in these aspects of our uh, marriage. So I want to encourage you, take an inventory of where you are in your marriage. Think an inventory of, of the people uh, that you know, also you, if you have married couples, uh, what's working for them, right? Like what's going on in a healthy marriage? And make sure that when you do, when we're asking on another couple what's working for them, let's highlight the really great things that are really making a great marriage, you know? And really see if you can implement some of those things. But the idea is that you also have, if you have an older uh, friends that have been married for 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 quite a while um, seek mentors in other in other couples as well that they've gone through the test of time and they can speak from their experiences and learn from their experiences. So, uh, my friends, I, I just want to let you know that I, I love you all very much. Uh, this this topic of marriage it is a very 
a personal one for me. And, and I, I hope that this has really blessed you. Uh, tune in next week as we're going to see what, the, what, what God and the Bible have to say about marriage and how we can continue to develop and grow so that we can have healthy families. Now, remember, as men, uh, when we walk away from, from our homes, when we walk away from our children, um, you know, there is a greater, there's a greater sense of responsibility that falls on the single mother to bear. When we're looking at the cost of living, when we look at an inflation, when you look at the cost of a single apartment, when you look at medical expenses, really think about if our decision because we desire to have the arrows feeling again or because whatever reason or circumstance of it may be, you know, maybe you need some marriage counseling. Maybe you need someone to come in and mediate and just kind of give you advice and just kind of help you along the road. But no one will come unless you ask. No one is going to come help you unless you recognize that you have a need in your marriage that has not been met. But think about this, you know, my desire and my passion is that we bring this awareness to the forefront to fight for fatherhood and, and, and families because of my own personal struggles in those areas that I had to come to terms with. So I wanna leave you today with one little simple quote for our quote of the day. And it does come from H. Norman Wright, who said, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Let me say that again. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. My friends, never compromise integrity for comfort. Stay strong. Bye-bye.